0: how can you be part of a religious community that straight
1: up sometimes it feels or like the church is trying to hold the church seems to be stuck they in their ways exists. when the rest of the Why are they so obsessed with keep trying to give answers but they don't even Church is the most people vocal, political voice against church is still the one they claim I worship with actual death. do you understand straight goods that is majority the church end seems end to be stuck a in their ways when the rest of the like, culture mis- is that actually
0: It seems like so news. much of the church is more concerned with being a good American. Anticritical thinking, thinking, or being a good homophobic, too narrow, judgmental, disconnected from what is truly happening
1: in the real world. <sighs> the church needs therapy. Welcome to the newest episode of The Church Needs Therapy, and today our guest is Keith Christich. I, I I made sure to add an S right there. I think when I said guess, I took out a T. So I added one in your name. I think I took it out right there. And for Keith, I'm I'm going to read some of his bio, so you can hear a little bit about him. Keith says that he helps people reimagine what's divine and see God everywhere. So his work revolves around deconstructing rigid religion, practical mysticism, and contemplative practice. And so Keith teaches centering prayer as a way of embodying the way of unknowing and surrender. He also makes what he calls weird digital art, like the images you'll see on his Instagram or on his website. And Closer Than Breath is where he dedicates his time to building a contemplative community. He also does that through his daily mystic newsletter, which you can sign up for on his website, keithchristich.com. That is that correct? That's right. Yes, and he has an event coming up, and I believe it's a free, is it a free online event, the Christian Mystic Summit? That's That's amazing. Yeah, and then we'll talk a little bit about that more later. So yeah, let's stop right there, Keith, man. I appreciate you, and thank you for taking the time to be with me personally today and with the community as well.
0: Yeah, thanks, Kevin. Glad to be with you.
1: Yes, and the miracles of technology. I'm here, as the listeners know, in Honolulu, Hawaii, and you are talking from, I know it's East Coast.
0: I'm in the beautiful Buffalo,
1: New York. Hello. Beautiful, great day. (laughs) There we go. We are coming from like, these are literally almost as far as as you can be in the continental United States of America right now. True,
0: true. And probably opposite weather patterns a lot of the time.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, my wife and I went to school in New York City for a while. And then right when the winter started to get bad at Christmas, we're like, all right, let's go back to California at that time. So... I've been there a little bit but not when it gets too cold. My, my kids are 4 and 6 and they still haven't really seen the snow yet, so we have to make that happen soon. That's wild. Wow, the mystical
0: experience for kids, that's for
1: sure. <laughs> you know, as someone <clears throat> who focuses on the mystical and the contemplative and who's even committed to fostering a contemplative community, tell me about cuz I don't I don't know this part of your story. Tell me about your own shift from sort of a conventional belief-based faith to a more experiential and contemplative way, right? You don't have to give an entire bio of your life, but to me, that's a big shift. You know, that is a very monumental shift for people in terms of the process of going through that, which can be very challenging, but then also the different feel and the different flow of a life who moves towards the contemplative or the experiential. So what is that movement look and feel like for you in your own journey?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I think overall, the like feeling tone is freedom, (laughs) interior freedom. I mean, I grew up in, I would say like the quick version is a pretty healthy evangelical home. Like God was the father who loved me and Jesus was that like symbol or the, the reality of that love. And so I think it was a really grounding and like ego-affirming thing like i was the child of god god loved me and i think that sort of stabilizes the ego uh, uh, howard thurman would say that the sort of love that childhoodness of god is what stabilizes us and i experienced that like i was a just like loved by the divine source mm-hmm. um but it was also couched inside of conventional religion that sort of thinks in black and white a lot of duality and dualism and binary thinking and so um it just didn't fit the experience when I I had eventually gone to an evangelical college and just sort of in my own dorm room was doing my own like kind of quiet time and just fell into meditation. I didn't have a clue what it was because Mm -hmm. I didn't have a vocabulary. (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. evangelical, like meditation equal Buddhism. Mm -hmm. And so that was sort of this. um, You're like,
1: this was a legitimate experience of sanctification.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Something (laughs) is going on here. No one's ever told me what to experience or how to, how to understand it. And so that's how I first started exploring Buddhism because I was like, well, this, this sort of interior silence. I was like, I think this is meditation. Mm-hmm. Buddhists are good at meditation. I'll go learn from them. That was mm-hmm. super helpful. But eventually I was invited to this uh, retreat center, Franciscan Friary, uh, that does contemplative prayer. And they talk about union with God and they were teaching mm-hmm. the method of centering prayer from mm-hmm. the pulpit, teaching meditation inside of a Catholic church from the pulpit, uh-huh. like an incredible space. Um, uh-huh. They're a uh, OFM order. So if you know Richard Rohr, uh-huh. they're, the, they're like Richard Rohr friars. Uh-huh. Um, and so that was just like this beautiful wake up call, you know, that was 15, 15 years ago. And just in my own dorm room, sort of having these experiences that I didn't know how to name it. But then as soon as going to this retreat center, they're talking about oneness with God, union with God. And so um, The result of that is like moving away from the rigidity of like, God is black and white. We can't box the divine in God is beyond the box. God is beyond religion. Um, The religions are helpful to help us sort of create a healthy container, but how can we just plant ourselves into the ground of being rather than being contained inside of religion, getting stuck there? Like how do we just get grounded into reality Mm. and experience god for ourselves rather than inside of our minds inside of our thoughts inside of our beliefs so mm. the freedom of a of a unpotted plant is what it feels like mm.
1: Mm. i love that yeah was was there a shift for you or was there a uh, an awakening to how how did the the discovery of the contemplative stream the mystical stream within The christian tradition was that a thing at first you're like well if we're talking about the depths of the interior life i might as well i there's a natural i'm going to learn from my buddhist you know siblings whoever it is but then all of a sudden there's like wait within this larger flow there is a stream of within the larger perennial tradition this is what our tradition looks and feels and Mm -hmm. sounds like was there a moment or experience like that for you yeah
0: absolutely i mean as soon as i was brought to this retreat center it was like oh the buddhist books are good And yet they're just subtly different than what I was experiencing because, um, yeah, there just wasn't that divine love quality that is Mm. sort of at the heart of contemplative prayer and practice. Mm. And so, yeah, to wake up to the reality like Christianity has a a meditative tradition and it's actually pretty dope. Like Mm. it's not weird. It's not rigid. Like you can find various flavors that sort of meet you, or maybe you could say meet your personality. Mm. Um, and so I think, yeah, to recognize like we have this enormous tradition that an evangelical like me wasn't brought up in. Mm. And, um, I think even most like Catholics or like the Eastern mm. Orthodox Church, like they're stuck inside of rigid doctrine. Mm. They might not even know about their, their, their tradition, that contemplative stream. So mm. yeah, certainly a, a reality check that like, oh, we have these like wild Teresa of Avila from, you know, Spanish mystic, like mm. doing crazy stuff. <laughs> Mm. So long ago, and and having these wild experiences with the divine, and then writing that, writing about them, mm. and so many mystics, and mm. yeah, just to wake up that like we have this tradition too. You don't have to jump ship to become mm-hmm. a Buddhist or a Hindu in order to start a meditation practice. Like we have mm. resources internally.
1: Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like with the larger, the perennial tradition, the mystical sort of river that, you know, many great Christian writers are within, but obviously transcends just their writing alone. For different people, there's like open doors or like if it's a river, there's like different docks into the river like, oh, this person... Yeah, I was reading Henry Nowen because for evangelicals, that's like the only acceptable, like relatively modern <laughs> mystic who's a profound yeah. thinker. And that's great. You know, Nowen's a great starting point and a great person to have. I think he's amazing. Um, Or b- for some reason, and I didn't I have a d- very different experience of like not really being in the church in my adolescence and then having this spontaneous awakening moment while I was on mushrooms at 18 that really transformed my life. But I'm like, oh, like Brother Lawrence. I'm like, for some reason, practicing the presence of God is like one book evangelicals are like, this is what it's like to <laughs> have a day to day, ongoing, loving dialogue, relationality with God. So it's interesting the different entry points that people have into that larger flow. Absolutely. I love that metaphor you just gave of like different docks in the river because it's
0: exactly what it is. And I think that's like, the divine, the spirit, like universe, like reaching out to us and being like I'm everywhere, mm,
1: mm. <laughs> and
0: so like the dock is the shore is the river itself, and so mm. yeah, these different people. Henry Nowen, love Henry mm. Nowen, and was very early like first found Thomas Merton, which is true for so many. Then it was Henry Nowen, Thomas Keating, and the Centering mm. Prayer movement, like all these different docks. But the reason they're so beautiful is because they speak a universal language like they're speaking mm. in particulars like christian language mm. but it's actually a lot larger than that you know mm. it's like if i imagine the perennial philosophy or god being like a vast rain- rainbow and each of the religions are a different like color in that hue and we were born into a different hue like these different teachers are giving us access points to the rainbow itself rather than like looking at the rainbow and being like oh it's beautiful mm. it's like these different teachers are giving us like Mm. access to like sit in the rainbow, be one with Mm. the rainbow. Mm. And Mm. so grateful for that. (laughs) Mm.
1: Yeah. The, the, that's something that might naturally go back and forth between the particular and the universal and the writers and the teachers. It's like the particular voices provide a ladder that takes you up to the cosmic universal, you know? And that's why even at my age now, it's like, every mystic from every tradition i'm like well i haven't really read that person and i'm like i probably won't start because of where i'm at but i'm like but that's another access point you know Mm -hmm. because if they are speaking this universal language like what merton roar ken wilbur mirabai star did for me or or whoever the other group but they're all providing this welcome and introduction Mm -hmm. to this larger flow you know, which is just to me, those stories are fascinating. It's like when people talk about deconstructing in their first big paradigm shifts, right? And how in their stages of consciousness and stages of faith and how they see it's like 15, like now I laugh because I'm like, the, the things people are talking about now from in a collective at the center of culture, at the center of the publishing industry. Now I'm like, what's happening on the margins of public mm-hmm. faith 20 years ago? Because they're like, my gosh, like, have you read like Brian McLaren or, you know, who Tony right, Jones or right. those type of things, you know, but it's the same, it's the same step forward initially. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
0: And I, I think it's just so beautiful. Like if you're talking about deconstruction too, because I was going through deconstruction at the same time as finding these like mystic and contemplative teachers, both Christian and non-Christian teachers. But what I feel like that does, is it, it, it lightens the blow. I know of so many like, yes, de- Totally to people, like, angry and hurt and traumatized and need to like speak and yell and shout. And like, there's a certain healing and probably appropriateness to doing that in some ways. But at the same time, I think like as I was going through it while at the same time, praying and meditating, like like contemplative prayer and meditation, like totally softened the blow. It wasn't such a radical yes. shift. It was rooted in a reality larger than my small ecosystem of my mind. So Yes
1: if you're deconstructing your beliefs about God without deep inner knowing experiencing union with God, then your entire experience of God is dying. Yeah. Yeah. Because you were so over identified with your beliefs that when your beliefs are taken from you, dismantled, poked at, I mean, this is why the ego has such a death seizure reaction two people challenging how we see because it is our overall sense of self is connected with that particular way of thinking and seeing. So if someone takes that away, you're threatening my, my existence, but, and I've never heard anybody say it, And I've thought about that quite a bit when I can realize I'm over here Having beliefs about God that are over here that are beliefs shape us. Beliefs are important. I want to talk about that, but beliefs are not what we think they are. They don't do what we think they do. They don't define us in the ways I think at a deeper level beyond the the um, solidification of the ego and that sense of self beyond that, they have a different role in our life. You know, and to me, I'm, when you are connect, deeply connected with and grounded in God it's much easier to allow your beliefs about God to shift Mm -hmm. and evolve and change or die and be born again, because you're like, Oh, I am not those things over there. Tell Mm me how does that resonate with you and the work that you do and the people you connect with or your own journey?
0: Yeah. I mean, just echoes of amen there, you know, Mm. and I think, I mean, the whole thing is, I think just allowing God to be God. And I think throwing away the word God is one of the most helpful ways to like connect with God. Like Mm. we have this image of what we think God is like we were all born. I have like the old white man in the sky and it's just like, God is not the guy in the sky. Mm. But then if that's what my belief was going for, you know, 20 years, and then all of a sudden that gets questioned, then yeah, it's really hurts because my whole self, as you just said, is wrapped up in that belief and identity structure. So how do we let God be God? How do we let the divine just sort of unfold and evolve. And I find that all the time in our contemplative, in our like closer than breath communities is mm. we're just like all unlearning. Like we've mm. all learned. Now we need to unlearn. We've learned a bunch of crap. We've learned a bunch of lies and we need to unlearn that. And that unlearning process is really painful. Mm. Um, but it's just softened when we're just like sitting in the river itself, you know, in, mm. in contemplation, we talk about, you know, looking at the river, like looking at God. The flow and taking a photograph of it. That's what doctrine is. That's what mm. belief is. Like looking mm. at this living system, this ecosystem, this flowing, dynamic, breathing river. And then we take a picture of it as a way of preserving it, which is kind of beautiful in one sense because we mm. want to take that memory with us. But what the spiritual journey is ultimately about, it's about jumping into that river and flowing mm. ri- with the river, not boxing God into the photograph, not mm. letting God become a belief or a doctrine, but go swimming, jump in, eat the apple, you know, don't look mm. at it. Mm. So that's that's the contemplative path. That's the mystical mm. sort of becoming one with it rather than looking at it from the outside.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's... Softening the blow is definitely an important fruit of being grounded in the God who's beyond our conception of God as that as our views and as the picture changes, you know, and and we start to the more you do that, the easier it becomes because the more you are have distance from it from your sense of self and your beliefs and also you're used to it. You're like, this is what it is. The picture Mm -hmm. was always a picture, you know, Mm -hmm. then it becomes clear, then we rip it up again. And then you do this and you rip it up again. And eventually you're like, that isn't the point when you're Mm -hmm. tasting the apple, when you're in the ocean, you know what I mean? So yeah, it's not the beliefs, like for the mystic, it's not the beliefs we hold about God, it's the trust we're being held by God, Mm -hmm. held together. That's, that's why even with Centering Prayer, it's interesting and I, th- and I think very telling and insightful when you talk about, you know, I teach Centering Prayer as a way of embodying the way of unknowing and surrender. In Centering Prayer, in this experience of deep union, why in an embodied way, unknowing and surrender, how are those woven into this further journey into Christ and into God?
0: Yeah, that's a that's a big question. Um, you know, for those that aren't familiar with centering prayer, it's a method of meditation that's sort of, you know, rooted in the Christian contemplative tradition. But just like yoga comes from Hinduism, you don't have to be Hindu to practice mm-hmm. yoga. Mindfulness comes from Buddhism. You don't have to be uh, Buddhist to practice mindfulness. Um, centering prayer is that way. It's just mm-hmm. deeply rooted Christian practice, but you don't necessarily need to be Christian to practice, but it's very much about letting yeah, yes. go. If you,
1: if you if you don't end that 20 minutes by saying in Jesus' name, you just completely ah. negate, you negated the substance of the whole experience. <laughs> <laughs> right, right.
0: Glad that's not the case. Uh, I mean, and that's a great example of like the nature of centering prayer. is a letting go practice. It's a self-emptying practice. It's a letting go of thought. It's a letting go of emotion. It's letting go of experiences of God. It's a letting go... You know, we think of like there's this conventional phrase, which I kind of hate, but it's prayer is talking to God. Meditation is listening to God. Mm. Um, And so like there's and that's sort of a conventional way of like, well, we like empty. We go to the silence to be quiet by ourselves, to feel peaceful, or we go to the silence of meditation in order for God to speak to us. Centering prayer is a no, nothing, emptiness, darkness. Type of practice where Mm. we're just letting go again and again. And that letting go process of every single thought 10,000 different times is a way of self emptying. So we get to the bare naked being of what it is we are because we're always thinking, we're always feeling, we're always doing, thinking, feeling, doing, thinking, feeling, doing right now, thinking, Mm. feeling my body sensations, feeling my body, feeling emotions. And this practice of centering is a way of letting go to get to the beingness beneath all the thinking, being, doing, and feeling. And that is a deeply surrendered path because the ego doesn't want to let go of its mental chatter. You know, the mm. ego doesn't want to let go of its beliefs. The ego wants to feel the spiritual fuzzy wuzzies that people say in meditation we're supposed to feel. Well, not in this practice. We're letting every single thing go. Mm. Um, and trusting, as you said, that we're held in something bigger than ourselves.
1: Mm. What do you see, whether it's for people who are beginning this path of desiring, whether it's centering prayer, you know the contemplative, the meditative, how whatever the specific shape of that is, right? but definitely a life that's more sustained by silence. What do you see as some of the initial or ongoing challenges or points of resistance for people to getting comfortable with? that and surrendering to that and allowing that to become more a normal part of their life what are some of those things that you see
0: yeah good good question i think um you know i think there's just a lot of misconceptions that we could name um i mean we could call them meditation misconceptions or um well yeah just to like go through a couple of those like one is that meditation sucks like we have this like mindfulness culture and meditate like meditation is supposed to make you feel peaceful. Um like and then people go to meditate and they're like I have a thousand different thoughts and then they say I'm bad at this or am I doing it right or am I not and I'm aren't I supposed to be empty of thoughts? And those are just complete misconceptions. We're supposed to be emptying ourselves, but that doesn't mean that we reach some sort of perfect place of emptiness or some perfect place of peace. And so our practices aren't about feeling the fuzzy wuzzies it's not about emotional peace it's not about having a spiritual experience it's not about sitting down and trying to be in some blissed out state of consciousness like that's other traditions imposing themselves into uh, into into ours and that's not the case so i think if people can recognize like you know if people can just start with like setting five minutes aside every morning to just be Mm. Not to do, not to read a book, not to journal those are beautiful things I read, and I journal every day, um, but to just be you know it doesn't have to be meditation, even at the start, but to just to sit mm. and get comfortable with that sort of five minutes of stillness, that five minutes of silence, and see that there's some movement in there, there's some energy, and allow that to just sort of grow, um, that can be really helpful because if we just start out with a 20 minute meditation practice and we bring in false expectations that this is supposed to be making me feel good. I'm not happy. I'm not not happy. happy. (laughs) Yeah. This isn't working for me. Meditation isn't for me. Everybody sucks at meditation. I've been meditating for 15 years and I still suck at it and I'll probably suck at it in 15 years, but you know what? It's one of the most grounding practices I can do. Um, Mm. One of the, one helpful analogy I like to share is like the, like we think of meditation like taking medication, like my head hurts, so give me ibuprofen and then I'll feel better. And it's sort of that instant relief, where meditation is much more like, bodybuilding It's much more like going to the gym and it takes months to lose weight or it takes months to gain muscle mass. Mm-hmm. And so if we can look at our meditation practice, instead of it being like a feel-good self-care practice, rather it's about this holistic self-transformation. Like you take your body to the gym and it takes months to transform it in a visual way. Well, that's, that's the experience of, of contemplation, to not judge our practice based on how we feel today. But to see the big picture of how it transforms their
1: life. Mm, So good. Tough sell, but really good.
0: Ah, tough sell, you're
1: right. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's, why that's the the mystic, you know, when people's people's introductions or sort of, you know, surface level interactions with mystics, you know, of course, the roomies of the world, the people who have all these great quotes. I'm like, what you're hearing is the poetry and the fruit and it's real what they're saying is real and it is beautiful and it is moving and it's amazing and it's inspiring and we want that but i'm like but that is the fruit of a hundred thousand deaths along the way you know i say the mystic when we over overly romanticize the life of the mystics i'm like mystics are people who voluntarily choose to die because so often what comes up and why silence can be challenging is the the things that are lurking in our shadows right that which we don't want to own that which we feel like is chasing us or haunting us at times you know these things will inevitably mm-hmm. over time especially with with assistance because you can you can spend a lot of time in silence without actually fully dealing with your shadow or even starting to because of how many defense mechanisms we have up but I tell people, well, sometimes in silence, I'm like, you know, when I saw that group of guys doing that or I saw this and my initial reaction was like cynicism and just kind of like hating on them. I'm like, I know myself well enough to know that's a defense. That's a coping mechanism and defense mechanism, because the truth is, is I just kind of I felt left out, mm. you know, and, and I follow that further and I go down. I'm like, oh. They had. They seem to have this deep familial, collective connection, and yeah, I don't have that in my life right now. And you know what? That's just really hard. And you, mm-hmm. you, you know, in order, in order for me to move forward, you know, I have to do. I just, I have to accept that. Right. There's something really. That's why, in in my second book, The Joy of Letting Go, what I keep saying, what I essentially said was after the anger the resistance the pity parties or whatever thing whatever ways our ego uses to avoid vulnerability i'm like eventually when you feel stuck in life there probably is just something really hard you have to accept which mm-hmm. means there's something you have to let go of as well but if you can do that that death that embrace that form of mm-hmm. unknowing that form of surrender you know like you say with the embodiment then those words of Rumi will become more real to you. Mm -hmm. Then those words of roar might be true in and through your own journey. But that is the fruit of the actual death, dying, letting go, acceptance part. So in the meditation, especially as the shadow elements come up, it's like, it's the worst thing but that's the beautiful thing about the gospel and this story that we're a part of and how this universe seems to work is the worst thing seems to have the potential if we hold that space long enough to give birth to the best thing. So yeah, yeah. tough sell. It's it's real, but tough sell, tough sell on this tough side before you go through it.
0: Yeah. 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 And I think that's such a crucial point that people are hearing the fruits without first going through the... The dark night of the soul, I mean, the Christian tradition is who has that saying of the dark night of the soul. And a lot of people use that sort of like flippantly that like, oh, I'm going through a hard time in life. Like I lost my job. It's a dark night of the soul. Like that sucks. You lost your job. But the dark night of the soul was a dark night of the soul. You know, it Mm -hmm. wasn't about me and my external life and going through like hardship. That's real. And Mm -hmm. that's darkness. But the dark night of the soul of like really burying your own nothingness uh, and the seeming absence of God and then that inner drama coming up during our silence. That's, uh, that's the darkness. Uh, um, and so, yeah, there's, there's, that's another red flag because people will say, yeah, you experience silence. I'm supposed to feel peace. And then old trauma comes up, old uh, memories. Uh, that 's supposed to happen, but what uh-huh. we can say is well this isn 't working <laughs> like uh-huh. i 'm reliving horrible things, and so we have this the phrase we use in centering per communities is divine therapy
1: uh-huh.
0: that God comes to us as the divine therapy, and as we let go we 're not really just letting go we 're practicing surrender we 're practicing uh-huh. death we 're letting go into the arms of a loving divine presence and trusting that as these are in us. We're no longer suppressing them. We're not letting go as a way of suppressing those old memories. We're releasing them. We're not mm. going to cling to them anymore. Like mm. my hands are opening and closing as a way of release, letting go here. It's not mine to hold anymore. That's the past. Mm. And so that's the sort of dying we can do in this practice. Yeah, it's not very sexy, but on the other side of that is, is, is freedom is life.
1: Mm. Yes. The, 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 the fun- the mystic, the contemplative discovers that the funeral is actually the entrance to the party.
0: I love that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I appreciate. It. I, I man, I love what you're saying. I think people who are listening in are familiar with me and my work. Know there's a lot of natural resonance between what you're saying. I'm, I'm listening to you. I'm like, damn. I'm usually the only one saying this when I'm being interviewed on stuff. This, is, it's interesting to be on the other side. I'm like, that's so good. <laughs> You know, there's a, to me, there's some, for the contemplatives, for the mystics, for people who are entering into a faith beyond belief, right? Not without belief, but definitely transcending beliefs as the primary grounding, defining marker, as opposed to the actual direct experience of God. There's, To me, there's, I think for the mystics, for the perennial tradition, there's sort of universal ongoing because it's not really something you solve creative tensions of the journey mm. what's the relationship between beliefs and experience it's an ongoing one right um what's the relationship between the particular and the universal it's a universal story there's a particular path the way of jesus you know that people have a different path and these things they just stay with us you know and your relationship with them changes and evolves and grows you don't really You can overcome the antagonism, you know, with, with the non-dual mind, but the the tension is still there. It's a part of it. You know, Mm -hmm. to me, it's just ongoing. And I think for, for Christians, which I still consider myself a Christian. Like if people ask me like I'm a Christian, I'm like, I may not tick every box the way other people may want me to, but like Mm -hmm. I'm a Christian. I've given myself to this path and I'm still am, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and I love that. And I, Want as a I, to me, I'm like I want to keep loving and serving the churches. You know, I'm in a post-congregational moment right now, vocationally because I just left. But I'm like, dude, I love the church, and thankfully, <laughs> when you talk about softening the blow, you know, with like deconstructing and um and and being connected with God in an experiential way, I think another fruit connected with that <clears throat> in an institutional sense is like I never felt the need to leave. Mm-hmm this story i never felt the need to leave i and i can recognize the radical contingency of beliefs and practices and rituals like dt suzuki says these are all fingers pointing to the moon woe to those who mistake the thing all that good stuff Mm -hmm. i can get all that and still wholeheartedly give myself to a tradition and these practices i love that like i love being Mm -hmm. able to do that like this is the story i know this is what i love but for christians that creative tension between the cosmic Christ and the particular Jesus, right? This universal accessibility, infinite love pouring itself out at all times to all people in the same way that anybody can awaken to in any moment, regardless of how they organize things Mm -hmm. conceptually. Right. That's what I believe. But then there's a life as a Christian. There's this particular way. Right. And for you, through your journey the past 15 years and now, where what are some thoughts you have on where you're at when it comes to those creative tensions? You know, the universal and the particular, like you're a person who teaches centering prayer, rooted in the Christian tradition, but also knows this is just for everybody. <laughs> you know what I mean? And even yeah. regardless of the conceptual, cognitive, the way you organize things mentally, you could come into this experience for a year. And you have just as much access, you have just as much access, you have like, you can awaken, you can, and both of you can leave organizing the world differently when it comes to your beliefs, but still have the same experience of what is, you know what I'm saying? So how do you, where are you at just in terms of a few thoughts on feeling that through your own journey, making sense of that?
0: Yeah, thanks. I did miss some of that as things are getting a little, a little choppy on my end, but what I'll say, I heard you, actually, it's looking good now. Um, you know, you mentioned Ken Wilber before, and I love his phrase and teaching of transcend and include. Mm. Like we can transcend, in, my, in this conversation, we transcend our religious beliefs. And you can either transcend them and reject them and say, well, no more. I don't need that. It's all bullshit. Screw it. <laughs> turn your back on the church. Turn your back on your belief system. Turn your back or you transcend it, you go beyond it, you realize it's a particular pointing to a universal, it's a finger pointing to the moon. I want I want the moon itself. I want the river, the living river, hmm. not the photograph of it. Well, we can transcend and we can also include. And so what I hear you saying is like, you've done your inner work of including because a lot of people transcend and reject. Hmm. They move beyond religion, their own religion, and they reject what was before them, like they, it didn't serve them in any way. But I think a healthy religion is meant to be carried forth a healthy religious life. It's not going to look the same, Mm. you know, in my case, it hasn't looked the same. I don't go to church every week, but that Mm. doesn't mean that I'm not a part of the the church, you know? And so I think it's that like being potted, take being out of the pot, out of the Christian pot into the, into the soil, the universal soil, and then looking at the pot and saying, I love you. Mm. Like you nurtured me, you gave me stability you gave me structure, you gave me an environment that I couldn't grow inside of the dirt because a little rabbit was gonna come and eat me. <laughs> mm. You know, so not everybody has that experience and I respect that. Like some people's containers, religious containers, were awful. And they probably mm. should be rejected and they're mm. too patriarchal, they're oppressive in very legitimate legitimate ways, and that is unhealthy religion that the world doesn't need any more unhealthy religion. But if a religion is living out its highest calling it's calling it beyond itself mm. and yet it's also valuable in its own right and so that's that's what i think how to how to help people love the container to see to transcend it and say okay that isn't for me anymore or isn't i'm not going to be limited to it but also be able to look back and say i love you and i'm still working with you and i'm still like i'm raising my son like what container am i going to put him in that's a decision mm. i have to make like i mm. can't just be like yeah anything everything like you have to give some structure
1: right so totally the container
0: there and, and and how are you going to work with it
1: yeah yeah it's so good yeah parenting it takes the practicality of like especially stages of development you know when it comes to our sense of self like there's bigger movements of solidification fortifying the self dying to transcending the self that those are those are two just big major movements in our lives you know that's lots the work of, you know, psychotherapy, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. the therapist has to say, strengthen this ego self, fortify it. This is strong. You're capable. You can make decisions, etc. cetera. And then for some people who have that sense of self are starting to see beyond, it's like, well, I mean, actually the, you know, the <laughs> self before we were, you actually need to die to that. You know, that's, that, that's stages, that's feeling it out. That's the work of transformation and mm-hmm. kids takes that to a whole new thing. Like my friends, you know, see where I'm at, or, you know, I can, or I have a specific friend, who like we, he, we're always joking. He, he'll, he'll joke with me and be like, oh, Kev doesn't baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He baptizes people in the name of welcome acceptance and grace. I'm like, either one's fine with me. <laughs> <laughs> but for me, I'm like, when my kids are hearing Bible stories, it's not like if we read, A Noah story, I'm like, well, you know, Genesis 1 through 11 is like prehistory and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, that, no, this is the story. Mm -hmm. And then when my daughter's 13, 14, who knows? It's like, well, this is how stories worked in ancient times. Mm -hmm. You know, at 22, it's like, well, this is where we're going. And here's the, you know what I'm saying? Like, you can do that. And as a parent, it's, you feel the weight of that, but it's also, it's just filled with creative possibility of being able to do that well. You know, mm-hmm. and it's it's and it's really an interesting thing to do, and a really thing you, we can be very intentional about, which I love. Um, okay, a lot of times when people come on, it's like, all right, book coming out. Let me do an interview based off of the book. You know, I'm glad we had it. Ch- Just in general, I, you know, personally. Some maybe say selfishly, that's fine if they do. Ha- this podcast is like, I want to connect with people. I live in Hawaii. I'm very geographically isolated from people who I think are a part of building and living to the kind of future of faith that I want to be a part of. You know, now that I've come across your work, I would include you into that group of people. So I'm, I'm happy to do this. So without, we're not here talking about a book, but closer than breath community. Keith dot can get you to the closer than breath community. This is the work that others have told me about with you, you know, so what is, what is closer than breath? What was it born out of? What, what is it? Where is it? Where is it going? Where is it going?
0: Wow. Yeah. Awesome. It's uh it's a mystery to me. It's been a uh, unfolding of the spirit in a real way. It was born out. of It's a pandemic baby. So mm. when the pandemic had hit, I was at home and I had recently quit my work. I worked for seven years at a nonprofit doing all sorts of wild work with kids. Um, and I just threw out a bunch of meditations and contemplative prayer offerings online and people kept coming. Um, everybody was at home learning how to deal with themselves, with their mm-hmm. minds, in isolation and solitude dealing with silence, but forced to deal with solitude and silence. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so what started just around a, a bunch of meditation uh, courses has really just grown into a, a really solid contemplative community like a family you know so mm-hmm. we're like um we have monthly contemplation days which we bring in guest teachers from literally all over the world we have oh. had from monks in australia to uh, random contemplative teachers in europe but like literally all over the world different authors and teachers and so sort of this ongoing community, education, and contemplative practice. And we really gear ourselves towards contemplative practice rooted in the Christian contemplative <clears> tradition, <throat> but really bringing that perennial and interspiritual aspect. So just one example, this is last year we had an interfaith advent. Mm. rather than having the christian version of advent we've had i've been to my whole life we brought in a rabbi rami shapiro who's written like 36 books um mm. he's a perennial teacher i'm sure you know um very a sufi teacher jewish rabbi mm. uh, christian contemplative mm. um who am i missing and so it was like how do we celebrate advent from an interspiritual perspective mm. an interfaith and perennial perspective and so rooting ourselves in that Christian contemplative, but really expanding it to to be that, to offer a universal path as well. And so, yeah, it's a contemplative family. We have six or seven different meditation and centering prayer groups that meet throughout the week. And so we'll mm-hmm. be on Zoom and building community inside of silence and sharing. Um, we host a number of courses and then these sort of like large-scale events, like our Centering Prayer Summit. Um, we have an exciting Contemplative Prayer Summit coming up in in. September and then our uh, free five-day Christian mystic summit that's this June so Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: what is if someone was interested what is the like you know we talked before about the docks that sort of welcome us onto the river what is like the entry points beginning parts if someone's interested in it
0: in closer than breath, I,
1: I yeah, like say, to get involved. Like, is it like, oh, I'm committing weekly. I go monthly. I don't. I come when I like. How does you know? I'm saying.
0: Yeah, yeah. Sort of two two easy docs to get on board. I mean, the one is our just to join our weekly newsletter. We don't overwhelm people with emails, um, but closer than breath dot com slash newsletter, and that newsletter you get this beautiful. Uh, PDF I made, it's the God is closer than breath guide. And it's just filled with sort of mystical quotes from various contemplatives about union with God. And so, um, yeah, getting on board with that, because that'll eventually, you know, that'll essentially, you'll get invites, we'll, you'll get invites to our monthly contemplation day, which is, you know, a great thing to g- get first involved with uh, that our next one is Saturday. So n- this will be passed, but it's on the divine feminine. So looking at mm. the feminine. Of God. And so that'll be this Saturday. But um, yeah, we have all these different teachers coming in to present, and those are monthly offerings and a great place to plug in initially.
1: Mm, gotcha. And so another thing coming up, I didn't realize it was free until I was looking at your website yesterday, like looking for bio stuff. So the, in the Christian Mystic Summit, that's closer than breath, one of the things they're putting on. So that's within the larger, like closer than breath community.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So my, uh, uh, business partner for lack of a better word, uh, Jana Rentsel is this amazing person down in Dallas, Texas. And so we've been active to, we've gathered nine contemplative teachers, different authors. We've partnered with Broadleaf publishing books, mm-hmm. um, and doing a 25 book giveaway. And it's basically five days, two contemplative teachers, each of those five days and talking about people from Howard Thurman to, uh, to Meister Eckhart, to just exploring the the contemplative path in general. Um, Mm. So it's just going to be like a really fantastic five days of sort of a mystical, I could think about it as a mystical, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Coachella. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's
1: a feast.
0: Like if you just want to
1: feast (laughs) on
0: divine union, you know, come to that. So (laughs) Mm.
1: (laughs) That's funny. But... No, I appreciate this. This was good, man. I'm glad we got a chance to connect and there's so much resonance and so much wisdom and, in, in what you're sharing today, what would you, you know, to, to, to start to conclude? I think there are, even if you're in a different place, even if I might be in a different, or even if I am in a different place, when people are going through to me, that first big paradigm shift of faith. Like for me, when this, when people are talking at a collective level now about deconstruction, from my vantage point, I see that the the majority of that energy is that first big shift. If you look at James Fowler, like from stages three to four, from the spiral, from blue to orange, like you're letting go for the first time your system of belief is the object of analysis. It's not just something you're looking through. It's something you're looking at. You're taking apart. Does the unraveling ever stop? My belief of God is changing, evolving or dying. I feel like my faith, like that whole thing where people are Mm -hmm. like, that's the collective thing. That's why it's so, it's so um, visual and so visible right now. I mean, for people to see that for people who are, entering into that, going through it, finding their way through, like that, like you said before, that's not easy. Mm -hmm. It's really not, you know, and it can be traumatic. It can be unsettling. It can be unnerving. It can be terrifying. You know, it can bring up all kinds of things for people from your place, closer than breath, where you're out on the contemplative path, the way you can see the possibilities of a future beyond that initial shift, deconstruction, you know, movement beyond that conventional form of faith where like it's you are your belief system, essentially. What are some of the potentialities or invitations that you see to the future of life beyond that and through it?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's, again, a beautiful and big question. I think immediately my mind goes to practice, to contemplative practice, that I think the shift is from a belief-based religious or faith system to a practice-based mm. faith system. Mm. And I think that, I, I mean, I can recall back when my evangelical days, it was like a shift from belief to um, like, I'm not a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. Like mm. practice meant I'm going to live the life of Jesus, mm. which I think is is invaluable, but that's the external. Mm. And so it's sort of like the opposite. It's like the the other end of the spectrum of, of belief, which is like hyper mental internal, and then living it, which is hyper physical body. Mm. Um, and I, and I think the practices is sort of like in between, where the belief is there to sort of like, give you a pointer, it's pointing at where you should go. And it's stabilizing you. And it's, give, it's like grounding you so that you can actually like live the crazy life you want to live. If you do want to live like Jesus, that's a wild life to live. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, it, but it's that actual practicing of death. So I think the invitation is is that movement from belief to a practice-based faith. Mm-hmm. And I mean practice-based is in like a contemplative tradition, like a contemplative practice that includes silence, stillness, so that we can get comfortable with being ourselves Mm. you know not who we are in relationship to the church not who we are in relationship to other people or how we're accepted or whether or not we're in or out based on our changing belief system because if it's about beliefs you're always going to be inside of one person's circle but not but outside another person's circle Mm. when we meet at closer than breath and yesterday morning there's 25 of us on a zoom call all practicing silence we are all one in the silence. There's no argument inside of the silence. That's not the spiritually bypass and say like uh-huh. we don't have disagreements or we all believe uh-huh. the same thing. That's the point. We don't. And yet, there's a union that happens inside of the silence. That the silence transcends all our language, all of our all of our belief. Uh-huh. And so, when practice unites us, it's just getting at the ground of our being, rather than up in the heads, up in the uh-huh. belief. Um, uh-huh. So. That's what I like to yeah, imagine. But, uh, I think a lot of religious systems are ahead of us in that way. Like Buddhism's a great one, like very practice-based. Like it's hard to imagine a Buddhist without thinking of someone meditating, yeah. you know? Uh-huh. And what if we said that about Christianity, that uh-huh. in 100 years, it's hard to imagine a Christian without thinking of someone who sits in silence for 20 minutes every day. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's what the monks are doing. That's what the nuns are doing All uh-huh. like a lot of their day.
1: Mm. yeah that's no that's a great really practical in the practice answer you know there's a it's a different shift when you go from what do you believe about god to you actually know god or do you experience being loved by god because what's really the foundation that carries you through you know and Mm -hmm. i remember there's this funny story i was like my wife and i lived in orange county in california for five years before we moved back here This is like after we got married, 2007, eight ish. And I was walking through my old neighborhood and it was just nighttime contemplative walk, you know, not really going anywhere, not doing and just just being. And as I was walking, I had this internal, this funny, like internal dialogue where I'm like, it's one of those moments where you just know. And then another voice says, know what? And the first voice says, I don't know, but you just do. (laughs) <laughs> and to me that's always stayed with me of that unique relationship between experience and belief you know what do mm-hmm. i know well essentially to me i'm like for the mystic to know is actually primarily being known by mm-hmm. to see is the experience of being seen you know whereas like what do i know i know that i'm seeing to be seen is to be loved that's what i know but then when you say know what now we're talking about the conceptual the abstract the metaphysical you're like i don't Mm -hmm. there's beliefs do i have some yes but am i over identified and attached to them whereas if they were taken away it would affect my life in some drastic probably not you Mm -hmm. know because of this deep experience so the meditation centering prayer to is the invitation to taste and know you know for yourself Mm -hmm. you know that's where the life is you know like we don't want directions to the ocean anymore, you know. Mm-hmm. We it's it's like you said, it's about diving in. Yeah, diving in and then
0: diving into the river and then letting the river even continue to tumble you, like mm. going into the ocean and almost drowning. Mm. Because I think that's the other the the reality of like, well, we can trust our experience, and sometimes we we say that and it can sound rosy. Then all we're gonna sit there and God's presence and love and delight, but then we go in again and we have old memories come up or we do go through a darkness, a dark night of the soul. And there is that Mm. sense of emptiness. Well, Mm. what does that say about God? Like, what if Mm. I go into the contemplation and for the next 10 years, I just experience emptiness? Well, a good Mm. Buddhist would say an empty cup is full of air. Mm. An empty cup is more full than a full Mm. cup of water because a full cup of water ends at the rim. But the empty cup is over full, over full filling with, with air. And so that's the sort of dialogue we get into with the like mystical, you know, mm. that like emptiness is fullness. Mm. The fullness is empty. Mm. Like it, it, the fullness of love, it comes and it goes. So it, mm. it's empty, you know. So. It's helpful to play with these mentally. So that's where the mind, the mystical mind is helpful. But we also want to be, I like to be careful that our experiences aren't always the peace and bliss. In fact, most of the time it's, it can be the darkness, but then we learn to see in the darkness.
1: Mm, So good. Yes, Keith, I appreciate you. Thank you for your time. And for like day to day, what's the best way for people to like tap in, stay in touch with you The work closer than breath?
0: Yeah, I would say the I'm, I'm on the Instagram. So on, I'm uh-huh. at Keith Keith Kristich. <laughs> that's that's the main like day to day, but nice. closer than breath is also I would say get on that mailing list because we're really active there without uh overburdening people. So
1: <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, man. Appreciate you. And uh yeah, I'll let you know when this is coming out, dude. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah, Kevin, thank you. It's been a blast. Yeah.